couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Isn't it? And the world's a mess. Yeah. Do you know what I wish, though? I wish the world would just go away. Just for a little bit. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shift in little bitty eyes over me. This is a marriage proposal? Yep. Yep. So, uh, what do you say? Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams, and when I'm not doing this, I'm Head of Curation at SBS On Demand, and I'm joined once again by my colleagues, friends, and fellow resistors. Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Heidi Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of ABC Radio National's All in the Mind. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, this season's going away too quickly. Uh, We have just watched episode nine, if you can believe it, of season five of The Handmaid's Tale. And it's the penultimate episode of season five. Outrageous. Anyway, it's called Allegiance and it was written by Eric Tuckman and directed by Bradley Whitford. Perhaps you've heard of him. June and Luke prepare for a rescue mission. Luke Bankel, June Osborne, may I introduce Commander Elijah Vance? Sir. Tanat. Ma'am. Commander. Serena experiments with new tactics to have it all. Mrs. Wheeler, certainly I will pump for next time. Hmm. Hmm, indeed. So let's get into this one and say what stood out for each of us. Let's go around the room. Sana, I'm going to start with you. What stood out for you this week? Well, I debated whether or not to go with this one because it's an unserious pick, um, you know, for fear of judgment, but I'm going to go with it anyways. Uh, My highlight was Hottie Elijah. (laughs) 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 Don't judge. I know this is a very serious show with very serious themes, but this week, you know, I just, wow, he was gorgeous and he had one very powerful line or a couple of very powerful lines, but um, the second he said my aim is to come home to my daughter, I was like, there it goes. He ain't yeah. coming home. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the exact same thing that Hazelight Dreamboat is not coming back. <laughs> he was beautiful. <laughs> he was beautiful. Um, fun fact that he is Brendan Morgan and he was a Canadian bachelor. Bachelor what? in Paradise last year. Oh, yes. Really? Oh my goodness. <laughs> that makes so much sense now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look at him moving up in the world. I'm happy for him. <laughs> and all the symbols in this um, episode, like everyone's talking about being a symbol. Mm. Commander, good kind of commander. Yes. Elijah Vance was certainly a symbol and yes, it clearly had an impact on the team. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go watch The Bachelor Canada now. <laughs> um, yeah, Bachelor in Paradise last year. Ah. So, all right, who's going to top that one? <laughs> yes, <laughs> me, no one me, can me. follow that. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Haiti, you're up. What stood out for you this week? My highlight was Hannah writing Hannah. Aww. That's it. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because yeah. it means so much. It means that she hasn't forgotten who she is and, you know, where she comes from. And, yeah, that was definitely my highlight. 
Yeah. Hannah in all caps and underlined as well. (laughs) (laughs) I swear that was one of mine too. I'm not totally flippant. (laughs) (laughs) But back to Elijah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Natalie, what stood out for you? Well, following Elijah, how do we not say the Nick and June reunion? (laughs) That has to be up there um, with Nick saying everything. It was actually such a rom-com moment for me with like a beautiful background and him saying all the romantic things. And so, yes, that is going to be a standout moment for me this episode. I get you, Nat. It was actually the close like second highlight right under Hannah writing Hannah. I've got written down my notes was June's post Nick smile. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. close second. It was a very lovey smile. Interesting. All right. I, I didn't have any of that kind of feeling about that scene, but okay. I know I've made stupid theories in the past. I, this one really happened. I'm not suggesting it's like the bridge kiss. But I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there with this, but yeah. No, no, I think he... Yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll get to Ooh, that. Okay. No, 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 I mean nothing major, but, yeah, I think he burned his bridge. He's, he's Gilead thrown through. I don't think it was a smile. I have, yes, that's what I thought too, actually. I, but, yes, we can talk about that when we get there. I did notice all the hands. I mean, this show is all about showing hands and, you know, by his hand and by her hand, et cetera. Everyone's very handsy this, um, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> uh, you know, hands on shoulders, uh, Mrs. McKenzie on Rose and yeah. Lawrence on his fiance, Naomi. <laughs> Um, and Alanis, of course, on Serena. Yeah, a lot going on. Boom. Yes. So that that's not a very fully formed thought there, but just everyone being handsy. <laughs> um, so let's move on. We we open in the hangar under the banner of the American flag with the doors opening. It's full of promise. You know, we've found Hannah. She's in Colorado Springs at a former U.S. Air Force Academy. That's just been repurposed as a wife school. Um, so she and her fellow plums are there. And some friendly, wink, wink, has given to Ello the intel. And it sounds like an amazing mission, drop in, drop out, get 30 of the kidnapped kids. Sounds great if it plays out like that, doesn't it? But I didn't know how they were like going to specifically just get the kids that were stolen. Like they were very specific about that. And I thought, how? How are they actually going to do that? Anyway, we never actually got to that point there, <laughs> yeah. did we? Also, yeah, well, no. interestingly, in that scene, they're in an airport hangar, but we never once see a fighter jet. I don't know if the budget perhaps didn't allow, you know, <laughs> allow for a plane there, but we never actually saw any planes in the entire scene. So perhaps they were never going to go. <laughs> uh, we heard the, we heard it and, yeah, saw the Situation Room. But, yeah, um, yeah. I was thinking, you know, across this whole series, June's been looking for an army. You know, she's been trying to find what is my army and now she's got the military might <laughs> behind her mm. and I mean you can see how that plays out but careful what armies you wish for or you have allegiances with so there's a lot of that eye of god shot across this um episode but more when obviously June adopts that position in the later scene but before that we're off to the wheelers Serena is <laughs> becoming a photo op again um Noah is her prop or maybe Serena's the prop either way both of them are props and um yeah it's all starting to play out here with Alanis played by Genevieve Angelson who's doing a very good job <laughs> she's <laughs> isn't she Ugh. yeah she was actually my second highlight like she is who knew that we could get a more annoying horrible but amazing wife villain than Serena like she's actually <laughs> fantastic to watch <laughs> yeah she's studied the Serenas of the world and yeah she's bringing this forceful charm, um, a little bit Reese with a spoonie. I don't know. Yeah, just like it? Yeah. Very <laughs> tightly wound, like a very mm. A-type kind of, I don't know, 
crazy coming through. Mm, yeah, just that threaten all those threatening niceties. There's that veneer of it that she can barely <laughs> break through, but obviously she she does later. But uh, yeah, the ordering Serena to use the bottle instead of breastfeeding. Um, my smart little boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. It's not even passive aggression anymore, is it? It's just, <laughs> no, yeah. it's aggression, aggression. Yeah. A couple of things to mention on color in this episode. In this scene, they both of them, as they're having it out about bottle versus breast, they're in a room that's the very much the handmaid's red. Mm. But when the camera is on Serena, the room behind her is the um, wife teal. So it's mm. very much like representing, you know, her past life, you know, where she used to be directly behind her. But interestingly... When we get to the scene a little bit later, quite a bit later, where she's going to visit Ryan Wheeler in his study, she's walking away from a room that's the Handmaid's Red into his study, um, which is kind of washed in the teal. So it's sort of the opposite of what's happening in the in the breast bottle scene. Oh, but what's significant ooh, about that, nice. I thought, was it kind of foreshadows what's about to come at the end of the episode. And I only made this connection sort of after watching the episode. So she had teal wife behind her, her past behind her in the earlier scene. And then in this Ryan Wheeler scene, she's walking away from the handmaid's red into the the wife colors. And that's kind of like by the end of the episode, she's running away from her handmaid role, you know, making a break for freedom. So it's very minor, but I wondered if like Mm. that was part of foreshadowing she was about to leave the handmaid red behind properly. Yeah, right. Good pickup. Yeah, that's a nice pickup. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go rewatch it. <laughs> I feel like I've like stopped clocking all the colours. Yeah. Because like, each scene just seems to be a wash with various um, colours. I agree. Uh, that are really symbolic in the series. But you're right, there's, that totally feels like it's intentional. Yeah, no, I, I, I sort of stopped clocking it after a while too because everything's just either teal or, <laughs> or red really. But <laughs> the way these were positioned and the way she was moving and where, where the colours were in relation to Serena, I thought was communicating something. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good one. Nice. In this one, I was less looking for the colours. I was looking at Serena's outfits and just noticing how you know how beautifully and exquisitely tailored she has been. Yeah. Not so much now. Like even even the wifely dress that she had on for the photo shoot, the, I don't know, the collar was a little mm. not quite <laughs> as schmick as the Gilead tailoring normally is. And then, and then the other, the peppermint, I guess, outfit, you know, like just it's not the, they're not sending their best clothes yeah. for, um, for Serena. She's a little bit frumpy, but she's a breastfeeding mum. Like she needs the open mm. loose collars to, you know, get quick access. Mm. But, yeah, you're right. And then the next scene is Lawrence and Lydia and the proposal. Mm. Tea? No, thank you. But please have some yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) That god-awful proposal, wasn't it Who saw that coming? (laughs) I did not. (laughs) That could have been a highlight as well, actually, Naomi saying, is this a proposal? (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. such a great line. It was. (laughs) And here's this front says, yep. Yep. So yep. what do you say? Uh, yeah, look, where do you start with this? I don't know. She, well, I look, love that she comes in thinking that she's going to be sent off to the colonies, you know, and then they're just like, that'd be ridiculous. It could have been, it could have very realistically gone that way. But, uh, yeah, she's terrified and then suddenly it's the least romantic proposal known to man. But She also pivots really quickly. <laughs> like these, like, commander's wives just give me whiplash, you know. Like on the one hand she thinks that she's about to go to the colonies and as soon as she realises that she isn't, all of a sudden she's just imagined herself in a fancy suburb in a nice apartment. And it's like, okay. Maybe a nice condo in Brookline or Back Bay. For Pete's sake, we're not, we're not your realtors. <laughs> go you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> in that case, yeah. I mean, you have to keep your wits about you, though, in Gilead, so you have to be prepared for anything. Yeah, I think Naomi Putnam is legitimately terrified in the scene, though, mm. and she asks that question at the end, do I have a choice in this? And Lydia and Lawrence are like, of course, <laughs> think it over. But if I was Naomi, I would be thinking that I don't have a choice in this. So it was interesting kind of seeing it from Lawrence's side where it's a little bit awkward and that's it. But yeah. I think Naomi's terrified. But it made me think about um, mm. because what are her options? And, you know, Gilead needs like a Tinder or something where she mm. can see who the available up-and-coming commanders are. And I thought that's kind of Lydia. She's like the matchmaker of Gilead. Mm-hmm. She might have binders of men. <laughs> Yes. Um, But like this for me, look, all of um, Bradley Whitford's scenes are always enjoyable because he gets such great lines and delivers them so well. But he was in a way that we haven't seen him before. He was like properly ruffled, I think is maybe the word I'll use. Like he was very uncomfortable and Mm. nervous and like he's always kind of bossing Lydia around, right? But this time he was actually genuinely appreciative and thanking her for being there. And I thought, wow, Mm. we have not seen you like this before, which brings me to the fact that he actually directed the episode. And, look, I don't Mm. know what that's like to be an actor and sort of direct yourself because I would imagine, like, if it was me, I would imagine that I would choose an episode which I was hardly in. But to think (laughs) that, like, he's um, directing an episode where not only is he in it, like, a lot, yeah, we're also seeing him behave and do things that we haven't seen before. So that sounds incredibly difficult to me. So um, hats off to Bradley Whitford. Mm. Yeah, I think you you still see the bravado and he brings that kind of aloofness that uh, that is his kind of modus operandi in, in Gilead. But behind closed doors you can see him hovering behind the door hearing Naomi speak truthfully to Lydia, like he had Warren killed right in front of me. But he loses that bravado when he's away from from them. And, yeah, this whole thing is interrogating Eleanor and her impact on him, mm-hmm. his guilt about the way that their relationship disintegrated because of his own actions and her resentment for that. So, yeah, yeah, good good point. This is a great episode to to handle with, for the character that you've you've played to date and, yeah, just showing what he's really like hovering behind the door of his office listening to people talk about it. <laughs> he was so nervous about it. When Naomi says, um, he had my husband killed in front of me, it struck me that this scene was very Game of Thronesy in a, in, a, in a way because Lawrence is now trying to take the wife of the man he killed, the guy who he was sparring with for power beforehand, and now he's going to take his widow and his child. Like it just felt very like a medieval exchange of goods kind of happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a little bit gross as well. Yeah, extremely. <laughs> but by the end, looks like she's come around to the idea. Well, you know, such the choice, such as it was. <laughs> mm. Well, I can say like, that's what I found really funny about it actually was how different Naomi and Serena are because Lawrence, Joseph Lawrence had a hand in Fred's death. Serena knew about it, but she was really trying to become Mrs. Joseph Lawrence. <laughs> Whereas like Naomi is kind of in a very similar like situation and she doesn't want to have a bar of it. And, um, just made me think that Naomi and Joseph Lawrence, they're really not matched. You know, they are not intellectually matched in any way at Mm. all. And I know, Fiona, that you have predicted that maybe Lawrence will die by the end of the season. And I'm really hoping he sticks around because I just want to see how this terrible marriage plays out. (laughs) Well, maybe that's partly why he chose Naomi as opposed to Serena as well. Maybe Lawrence didn't want an intellectual match, you know? He Mm. is 
another weak man who can't stand a strong woman, I'm sure. So mm. I don't think we've seen all of Naomi yet. <laughs> you know, like mm. she's, um, yeah, she was scheming a little bit with uh, Serena there trying to intimate she would take a baby. But, yeah, that, that was great seeing them and seeing, you know, another side of her that we haven't haven't seen before. Mm. Good stuff. All right. On to the wheelers <laughs> to that nighttime visit that Serena pays to Ryan. Not to play Scrabble, this one she's putting her bottles in the fridge and then trying on the charm, which he calls out. You know, he's sufficiently butted mm-hmm. up. What do you want? And here again there's mentions of symbols. There's, there's a lot of scenes where someone's mentioned as being a symbol or whatnot and she's putting herself forward, arguing why she needs a place at the almost open fertility centre. That was her idea. So the world needs to see the mighty Mrs Waterford and her progeny. Which was a good pitch, apparently. And um, I think what I'm kind of learning from these moments with Serena and the Wheelers, speaking of marriages, they clearly don't talk because mm. um, Alanis keeps getting surprised by Serena going behind her back and talking to her husband. And I thought, geez, <laughs> like he's yeah. really not keeping her in the loop, is he? No, he is not. No, they are not communicating. They barely look each other in the eye. Or he gets a, he gets a glare later on when he mm-hmm. makes a <laughs> point about <laughs> right. um, duration yes that, that's I think that's the first eye contact they've had in a long time <laughs> yes but clearly it works because she's going to get off to the opening well, one thing this reminds me of I think Alana said it in the first um argument with Serena she said my husband doesn't answer to those commanders in Gilead yes. and yes. I thought if he doesn't then who the hell is he really we have a lot more to re- learn about um Mr. Ryan Wheeler. I, I, we're still not clear on what his relation is to Gilead proper. Yeah, I, I found that really interesting. It piqued my interest. Yes, that was a quite an interesting line to drop mm. in the episode, wasn't it? Because I thought, I wonder how that's going to play out. And it sounds like yeah. he could be going rogue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's Gilead property, isn't it? Because that's what Serena has to live on as part of her deal. So they're living on that, but he doesn't answer to them. And he's got his black ops Mm -hmm. cross-border outfit going on. But he's involved in the fertility center opening. So there's like, you know, there's a lot of Gilead involvement clearly, but why does he not answer to them? It's probably financing it. (laughs) Right. And yes, part of Serena buttering him up was Gilead could have used men like you in those early days to avoid those missteps. Never mind Fred's memory, but yes. (laughs) Yes. And he's praise B. She says praise B, and he says, "Oh yeah." <laughs> he doesn't have the lingo down either. They're very ungiliadian mm. Gileadians. Mm. Did we miss over? By the way, his um, funny line of of when she says, "Do you have a moment?" and he's like, "You're gonna shoot me." You're gonna shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> Is he our Canadian Lawrence? Our sarcastic Canadian Lawrence? <laughs> yes, he does have this layer of self-awareness that his wife definitely doesn't and it does seem at times in this episode that he is siding with Serena you know on a certain level like the comments he makes to her in that in that room letting her go to the information center and definitely that line Fiona where he kind of insinuates that the baby will determine how long the feed (laughs) takes not uh, Mrs Wheeler (laughs) yeah but it's kind of like the story of always with Gilead the husbands were always a little bit lax or had a bit of leeway to either go to Jezebel's or you know Mm. acknowledge the absurdity of their surrounds whereas the women whether for their own survival or whether for their own true belief just like were completely Mm. fully fundamentally believing you know everything and going Mm. along with it yeah the title of this episode is Allegiance as well so there's all the little ways that you can see who's siding with who I'm sure Alanis as well (laughs) 
as well across little Ryan's diversions uh, onto Serena's side. <laughs> Would love to be a fly on the wall when she bolts out the back um, <laughs> and they notice it. <laughs> but anywho, down to the Situation Room for the raid. Um, it's quarter to midnight. June and Luke are there because June rightly made the point it's all happening because of the intel that they got. But anyway, June, she takes the Eye of God position that, that we've, we're normally seeing as viewers, but now she's got one of Hannah as the plums are all saying their prayers and getting off to their makeshift bedrooms. They're very cosy little tents. I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a it's like a panopticon with the, well, yeah, with the not that part. aunt in the middle just surveying yeah. them all. <laughs> totally. Well, I was actually, I really enjoyed the fact that it was the eye has come back because I haven't really noticed that like, like a lot of the times in the show we would see an eye and it might be down a stairwell. I think last season it was in the layout of all the refugees having their having their therapy circle and so this mm. time all of the plums' beds were all in the shape of an eye and I thought, oh, the eye has come back this season. And <laughs> look, I hope I haven't missed it in the previous episodes but I enjoyed seeing it this time. Yeah, that one, you couldn't miss that, could you? Uh, the, the, the way they were set up, um, they looked like wagon trains to me, like, the, you know, the old, they looked like the bonnets on Westerns in, mm. in Pioneer Days, little old, oldie-worldie look about them. But, uh, yes, and there's that hopeful suggestion through editing that they're making some sort of connection by she's looking up and June's looking down and there's some sort of connection in there thoughts and prayers, a little reminiscent of last week when they were mirrored on the garden beds and, mm. you know, June looking up at night and Hannah looking up in the daytime. There's some sort of metaphysical connection they still share if they can't be together because they certainly aren't together because of this scene. But, uh, yes, Hannah's picture book keeps the secret, as you revealed, Haiti. How and why does she have a pencil? Yeah, I was Are the rules that. changing? <laughs> Are things getting a bit more lax? Had she maybe snuck it in because she was, you know, kept looking up like she was, you know, obviously doing something she wasn't meant to. So I wondered if maybe it was mm. contraband. Yeah, it wasn't very concealed though. I thought maybe for drawing. Like mm. I thought maybe drawing's allowed, but I don't know. What do you learn at wife school? Am I forgetting a detail or, or was there significance in the card that she had torn that she wrote on that had the little flower drawing on it? I wonder about that, that too. something from before? I don't know if it's from before, but I think the garden and the flower, mm. that's the bond she shares with June. You know, June's flowering so furiously. <laughs> she's, she's putting, you know, making things grow and putting down roots in um, in Canada. And I, I think that, you know, they both love gardening and mm. it carries on. I don't know, I'm, but that's one take I took. Mm, yeah. Yes, and it all goes to shit. <laughs> the Gilead intercepts it. There was terrible intel. Thanks, Lawrence. And probably thanks, Nick, too, Mr. Defence, mm. don't we think? A little bit of Mackenzie in there as well. Yeah, big time. So we hardly knew you, Elijah, but it's all planes down, all three planes down, no survivors. It's terrible. I mourned Elijah. Yeah, yeah. This for me is June's first heartbreak of the episode. I think she has two heartbreaking moments. And this is the this is the this is the first one. And I guess the downside, you know, of um claiming to be in the room when it happens because you were the one that brought the intel. If you're going to take that level of responsibility, then when it all goes wrong, you're also going to take that level of responsibility. So, yeah, it's quite an awful moment all round. Mm. Mm. One thing I, that occurred to me in this episode is that, I think I've probably thought this before, but I remembered it, is we have no sense of who the leadership is of both the U.S. 
and Gilead. Like, yeah. we know the Boston yeah. group. We don't know who's top dog in D.C., if D.C. still is indeed, you know, the capital of yep. Gilead. But for America, all we ever see is Tuelo. Who is his president? Who is he? You know, we we have mm. no sense of this. In all the communications and all the memorials, it's just completely absent. I'm really hoping it's Oprah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mean, long as we great. don't find out, then that's what's then that's what's in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave it an unknown, and we can keep pretending it's Oprah. <laughs> yeah, she needs to do another broadcast. Um, but I guess this comes out later with um, with Tuella's conversation with June. But it, you know, mention of Oprah and whatnot, it does strike me that June's never done press, and there's been no interest in her as a as a symbol. But I guess that's what Tuella's agitating for her to do. But I've always thought that's kind of a that's more Serena's game, I guess. June's just dealing with trauma and trying to get her mm. back. She's not interested in the broader mm. aims. But I think they're kind of suggesting, and we might see more of that next season. Mm, yeah. Wait, maybe even next episode. Yeah, there was a lot of thinking about the PR game and who will play what role for, you know, the various sides' aims. But in the aftermath of Operation Get Hannah, Lawrence calls. Flip phone is got an incoming call and Hello? it's an apology, um, but is it? I'm sorry. It, you know, I, I, I really am. All this bloodshed, it's, it's exactly what I was trying to avoid. But that's his kind of way of, he, he always regrets past terrible actions. I think this is what I got wrong like last episode was I thought she was playing both sides and they didn't know about it. But um, hmm. but clearly what had happened, which I wasn't aware of, was that she had picked a side and Joseph knew about it. And he's annoyed because that she had backed America. So I thought that she was sneakily backing both and they kind of didn't know about it. But um, so clearly he actually knew exactly what her intentions were, that she was not going to go to New Bethlehem and that she instead was. Did he? Well, that's. Well, to give the intel for then to let her call her to say we found her and that so, you know, something happened in between. Right. Okay. Because I, I thought Lawrence only figured out, oh, she'd sided with the Americans once the planes were in the air heading for Hannah kind of thing. No, he was involved in giving the fake information or, you know, the, oh, the intel. Right. Because he sent the disc, surely. I miss this. That. Right. Okay. This is just coming together But we're in my piecing this together. I mean, it's, you know, this is our... <laughs> How did he know? Like, she yeah, wouldn't have told him. Yeah, I was, I was wondering that too because I just thought if the mission fails, then then she still has the new Bethlehem offer, but she doesn't, you know, like she had burned that bridge and I hadn't realised that she had. So, so, that, so the conversation was eliminating for that reason. But then, of course, wow, like this conversation, it takes a turn, doesn't it? Like um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was actually wondering, curious to like, get all your thoughts on like is this – considering that she had called him a friend like a few episodes ago, which we're all annoyed by, um, <laughs> is I couldn't figure out whether this phone call was absolutely destroying any relationship they had had after she really, because like, the shocking moment for me when I think I gasped out loud was when she started talking about his wife and she hated mm. you. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm. And so I'm kind of torn. I'm like, it, does that mean that that's it now, like that that relationship or friendship or alliance allegiance, whatever the hell that was, is that all over now? But then this other part of me was like they finally got rid of all the artifice, you know, like the fact that June did know about how his wife died and that she stood there and watched, that was always in between them because that was something that she mm. had kept hidden. And they both got really vulnerable together. They were both crying together. 
and and I thought this is almost the beginning of an actual <laughs> real friendship now rather than one that had too many lies in it. So, yeah, I'm not sure their future. I thought it was mm. the end of their relationship for now. Um, you know, things flip back and forth in the show all the time, but for, yeah. for the moment, time being, this was them burning their bridges um, with each other. Yeah, nothing's ever over, over yeah. in, in this. But, yeah, it's certainly a, a landmark moment. Yeah, the truth bombs uh, are lobbed back and forth. What June said to Lawrence was devastating for him and we haven't really had a chance to see what the fallout of that will be yet, whether he'll be able to climb back from that. And, yeah, the conversation that he has where he, you know, continues to dangle New Bethlehem and Nick at June and then push her even more by asking her to publicly condemn mm. the US mm. when, you know, if he had left it at that, like left it just before that and let her mull over it, who knows, maybe she would have come around to the idea. But I think as soon as he kind of pushes her that little bit more, that triggers her to to really go, well, look, just just let Hannah go. Like, I don't need to come to New Bethlehem. And then she, I think she finally realises that he's only offering her New Bethlehem because it works for him. And and I think that's when she realises that it's not a, a friendship and tells him everything she wants to tell him about Eleanor. So, yeah, we haven't seen how he's going to react to that yet. See, I was wondering if um it was kind of a gift almost, the, all the stuff that she said about Eleanor, as devastating as it was for him to hear because he was crying, you know, um, which we haven't seen before, I don't think, because maybe he had the reason he hadn't remarried was because he was still feeling loyalty to his wife, whereas mm. I think maybe that conversation or June just really saying how much that she actually, Eleanor actually despised him has in some way freed him up to marry again. Mm-hmm. Possibly. I feel like Eleanor is his his kind of moral conscience where he might be mm. lacking one. And I think he said to June at the end of season three, I think it was, that he was going to stay in Gilead. He didn't want to escape with the Marthas. He was going to stay in Gilead because he had to clean up his own mess and that's what Eleanor would have wanted him to do. So he's he's kind of there for Eleanor. So. If this kind of devastating realisation that she really did hate and despise what he had become hits him the wrong way, then he might he might be out of there. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely it's a truth bomb that he wasn't expecting necessarily for someone to say to him, but I think it probably is the impetus for then, okay, fine, I'll finish what I started there with Naomi towards the end there where the hangers and the shoulder and the rings on the finger. I do think all the references to Eleanor and how much she hated life there I do love the way that segues into the Nick storyline with Rose, who loves it. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, we, we maybe get to that in that scene. But, yeah, the way that Nick is the, is very much in Lawrence's image here and there's a genuine conscience here that the line that she uses on him is, well, he's saying that he's trying to fix it from the inside mm-hmm. and she says, You are one of them. It's even worse because I know you know better. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm doing what I can. Step by step, it's what I promised Eleanor. So his whole way of working that we dealt with last week, um, last episode, yeah, she's calling him on it here, but, you know, Eleanor is that is that pull because she did not want any of this and I think it does set up that, that contrast with Nick. I think that, like, um, Joseph Lawrence and June are similar in a way that 
or my reading is that they're both fighters, you know, like they're both, like I think this episode, I, what really came home to me actually was just how much of an activist June is. Like she can't stop agitating for a better life and experience and outcome for all the girls in Gilead. And that will never stop, you know, this drive that she has to not only get Hannah back but try and and make things better. I think Joseph Lawrence would be kind of similar because, like, if he did manage to get out, if he did actually take that out and um, goes to Canada, I think he would feel useless. He would not be able to make the changes that he would want to make. I think he's got maybe the same drive as June does, which is to make change. So I can see why he's staying in Gilead and thinking that that would be the place to do it. But I did really enjoy June saying all of these things to him. It really was a great scene, this episode. And there were heaps of great scenes, you know, <laughs> but that whole conversation was quite a standout. Very much. And also June does make the line, I want my baby here safe and free. Which is interesting in the way that the episode ends because it's not all that safe. <laughs> it yes. certainly doesn't appear to be staying all that free. But, uh, yeah, it's showing the, the bleeding borders. And then she takes it all out on the garden. <laughs> her rage she unleashes on that poor patch. Well, me, it's like for, for me this episode was really I feel like June's having a rebirthing moment and lots of things are coming to an end, but it's not over. It's just a restart, a reboot. And, um, and I think we see that with the garden, by the way, in like a really, in a really silly way, we see it with the garden because all of those seeds that she planted, she's now destroying them. And, um, and I think that we'll start to see a rebirth, but I'll talk more about that when we get to the conversation with Nick. Ooh, that's interesting because I saw the bashing up of the garden, the end of hope in this episode. Because you, you know, you plant a garden um, to cultivate stuff that's going to come in the future for beauty, for all these reasons. So a garden is very hopeful in a sense. And her going to town on it was symbolic of the end of hope of getting Hannah now. Yeah, the garden is is kind of like her connection with Hannah that we've seen over the last few episodes, where they've both been gardening at the same time. So I kind of think I read it in a similar way, Sana that. What we saw of Hannah in this episode is the closest we're going to get to Hannah for a, a long time, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of hope or lack of it or disappearing, um, now we're at the wheelers with <laughs> Serena getting ready to get in the car with permission from Mr. Ryan Wheeler to go. And here's where Alanis lands that blow or twice. Actually, it's a double one, uh, isn't it? How great is that? Like, okay, so, so this for me is like because um, we're watching Serena get all of the punishments that she had meted out to June while June was in her mm-hmm. house. And I thought we'd seen them all, you know, like I um, and, and then I realised Serena, um, she didn't, she never actually struck June. She wanted to, but June was pregnant, so instead she yeah. slapped Rita. And I had actually kind of forgotten that until Alanis did her work and I was like, oh, this was clearly on the list. If there, if there was like a long list where you were keeping yeah. tally of all the things that like Serena did that she needs to have back, well, that was like still on it, which makes me think what is still on that list. But I, I think we yeah. might now be done. But, yes, that uh, slap was shocking but also a little bit enjoyable, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a medley of Serena's greatest hits, um, pun <laughs> sort of intended probably. So she did throw June on the ground yeah. in the whole do you understand me scene. Mm. Um, yeah, but not not the slap. She did 
hold her down while her husband raped her multiple times. <laughs> oh, obviously, yes. Fair point. Yes. Excellent point, in fact. Needs to be restated over and over. Um, and this scene also when she says to me, you're just a whore, reminded me of I think it's the finale of season one where she throws the dress that June wore at Jezebel's mm. back at her in the face. So, yeah, there's, there's, it's all coming back in various ways. When she called her a whore, I did wonder in what way is Serena a whore? She was married when she had this, she got pregnant. Is a whore any woman that's not currently married in your mind? Like, yeah. what makes Serena a whore? <laughs> Explain. I think she's insinuating that going to see her husband at night while right. she wasn't around is akin to adultery. Mm. That's how We're I We're trying it. to explain the thought processes of Alana Wheeler, Alana Wheeler here. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, for whatever reason, she thinks the way she does and, uh, yeah, and that poor nanny, she doesn't have a character name, but um, she's played by Dorothy A. Adabong, and happily she did not get the slap um, mm. because in Canada it's not the Marthas who cop it. But, uh, yeah, she's adopting a Rita-like energy and um, you, you see Serena sort of clocks out a little bit later at the opening mm-hmm. there um, when she takes responsibility for not bringing the bottle. Mm. But um, yeah. yeah. I assume she did actually bring the bottle and she was just lying, by the way. Mm. I thought she purposely didn't bring the bottle for the very reason of being able to nurse him. Yeah, I thought the same, Santa. I'm surprised she didn't check the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Alanis, if you're so tightly wound and so trying to control everything, why would you have not brought the bottle? (laughs) Yes, good point. And then it's the conversation with June and Tuello after the rage flags behind them. There's a lot of um, symbolism in this one reflecting on terrible intel from terrible allies frenemies across the border. So anyway, so yes, they've determined, well, June's saying she's done with that son of a bitch, Lawrence. So he says, what about Nick Blaine? Well, it was like, she's really gung-ho, you know, and I I think, as I said earlier, like that sort of activist side of June, you really see it in this episode because despite the fact that her heart got broken when that mission failed, she is, she doesn't give up, you know? What's next? She mm. is putting it back on mm. him to go, all right, you know, let's just like, keep going. And then he puts it straight back on her because what's next <laughs> is basically she has to do something and she's got two options <laughs> and one of them is Nick. Yeah. And just on that need to keep going, like she does reference the dead pilots and, you know, they did all that because of the intel. You know, she's that's weighing heavily on her as well that they lost their lives for a mission that she initiated to go and get Hannah. So, yeah, she kind of evokes their memory as a way to will herself forward, I think, as well. But, yeah, Nick, here's where she finds out he had the chance to come to Canada mm-hmm. and he said thanks but no thanks. That was a bit of a surprise for her. This whole scene left me a little bit confused about Nick because I was like, does Nick still actually believe in Gilead? Why does he care about making it better? We understand Lawrence's motivation for doing that, but why doesn't he just hit eject, get out, reject the whole thing wholesale? So there's a huge part of him that still, I think, believes in the mission without all the horrible stuff that went down. I don't know. What what did you guys make of Nick oh, after this? right. Okay. Oh, I think he's there because of love. Rose. He's Stop in love it. with Rose. I think he's in love with Rose. <laughs> He's that kind of guy. He follows his heart. <laughs> I think that's, um, I think, I don't know, people are complex, right? And, and I assume that both him and Lawrence are similar in that they're staying because they feel so horribly guilty that they actually don't deserve a happy ending. They don't deserve to get out of Gilead. So I feel like they can feel better about themselves if they actually choose to stay. And so that's why when Tuello had offered Nick that out, yeah, the impression that I got was that he didn't feel that he deserved to get everything his heart desired. 
But, yes, I do think that his relationship with Rose is not just functional. They do actually seem to have the, mm. like, the most marriage-like marriage I think we've seen so far in Gilead. Mm. Yeah, they have the candor and the dynamic. Yeah, the in, like the asides when mm. the that Mrs. Calhoun makes her bitchy remark to her at the mm-hmm. the um, reception. I, I'm, I'm just going to say I only mentioned Nick's name and you've cut straight ahead to the scene with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> but let's go on. <laughs> also, the idea that Nick's in love with Rose sets up this really nice mirroring of him and June because they now both have are in love with two different people in two different places and they have a child in two different places each or a, you know, a uh, yeah. child. On the way, yep. <laughs> Which I think plays out nicely in the conversation that they have in this episode as well. Yes. I will skip back a little bit to the Tuella conversation because that sort of sets up the Nick chat because it's there that when June does learn that he said no original, initially, then she's all in on having a meet-up with him because that doesn't gel with the Nick that she thinks she knows and she wants to test him. Off the back of that Lawrence conversation where she challenges him that, you know, you're a part of it, he demonstrates very much in their interaction that he is. <laughs> He's all in at the moment. He doesn't want to leave. That's one that offer from Twello, the, the two options, and one of them is to go public and she says that she's not ready for that. I thought that was a nice way that she is different from Serena because that's all Serena wants, mm. whereas... June is in an amazing position to to sort of take a very public role and she really has not wanted to do that. So, yes, for mm. multiple reasons, catching up with Nick right now seems really attractive. I didn't realise it was going to be in real life, by the way. I thought it was going to be a phone call. Yeah. But on that point about Tuello urging June to more, I didn't think of it as a publicity kind of Way like power, I thought like as a force because he references Nick. Nick was an eye. He's a commander now. Someone like that defecting from Gilead, big impact. You can make one too. You could. You know that. After Angel's flight, after your testimony against Waterford, you should step up. Put your power to use. And that's what she says she doesn't feel comfortable about. I didn't think it is necessarily. Like I thought more as an as a as an agent, more as a political kind of a force, which would set her in direct conflict oh, with Nick. As in maybe Tuello wants to send her into New Bethlehem. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I didn't go that far with it, but sure, maybe. Yeah, more like as a as a symbol, like as more of an architect. I don't know, something a bit more than a public um oh, okay. face. I don't know. I, I read more as a political power in that he's urging there. Mm. I, th- I thought that's probably setting us up for maybe a storyline in season six. I don't know. I'm looking for it. I'm clutching at straws, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of public personas, welcome to the Gilead Fertility Centre or whatever the hell they're going to call it. The polite reception where Mrs. Frederick Waterford is parading her baby and encouraging, co-opting the hope of women who can't have children to try and get them on board with the Gilead way of life. Because if you clean with white vinegar, maybe you don't, <laughs> maybe then you can get pregnant. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And the fertility centre is like conspicuously devoid of any red. <laughs> There's no insinuation that any of these women will end up handmaids. No way. Um, <laughs> although I did think just before that, when um, Alanis said she was going to come to the, the event as well, I I thought, oh gosh, Alanis is going to ruin this publicity stunt because all the women there are just going to see, I might have a baby, but someone's going to be there to steal it at any point in time. So I thought, Alanis, you're about to bring this whole plan down. Um, (laughs) But Serena in that scene, 
it kind of made me hate her again because I was like, you know now viscerally the worst of what Gilead can offer. And yet you're trying to recruit these women to enter this project. And you've just been called a whore. What do you think all these women are about to be called if they, they head into Gilead? Who's to say they're going to be treated as wives? I don't know. I just, oh, Serena, think of someone else other than yourself. For someone who's feeling sort of like the, the full force of, well, not the full force, but, you know, um, getting a good dose of the experience of what it's like being a handmaid. She switched into promotion mode so easily, didn't she? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> it's just like an autopilot. Mm-hmm. I had this nasty feeling that she was exploiting that baby and she's been so desperate to become a mother and to see her so quickly flip into this kind of exploitation role as a mother was yuck. Yep. <laughs> totally. It's all hashtag as a mother. Like she was very much <laughs> bringing that to that reception. And even the quote. Scrubbing all of those horrible toxins out of the environment and above all, a devotion to God and living by the highest moral standards. So if you follow Gilead's path in Toronto, then perhaps you too could be blessed with a child of your with own. With a child of your own. Or you can keep someone in prison in your house and take this, like mm-hmm. Alanis over there. Mm. Um, I will add, I said she viscerally knows what it's like to be a handmaid now. The one handmaid experience she has not had to go through is, you know, rape. So there is mm-hmm. one element of the handmaid's life that, you know, the worst element of it that she's blissfully unaware of right now. Well, I was going to say, I reckon she's probably hyper aware of it because surely that's just next, mm. you know? like um, That's true. They seem to be, those wheelers seem to be um, enjoying all of the power of Gilead despite not being in it. So I can only assume that that is Mm -hmm. something that Wheeler will exercise somewhere in the near future. I kind of hope we never see those rape scenes again. You know, I feel like in the early seasons, we kind of had to to understand the horror of Gilead, but we kind of all understand it now. I really don't want to watch even, you know, like... No, yeah, I don't think that we, you know, that we just, would, but it provides the impetus for why Serena does what she does, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like getting up the bravery in order to do that, because if it fails, then she's fucked, you know? Like that's, she yeah. would, it wouldn't actually work and she wouldn't be able to be with Noah. So it is a very brave thing that she does. But, of course, I'm thinking, mm. you know, part of the reason why she would is because she, that full handmade experience is coming, you know? Like it's just around the corner really. Yeah, all signs point to it. But speaking of that, Sana, I am actually so grateful that we haven't seen so much of the horror that we've seen yeah. in the past. I've actually really appreciated that this season hasn't been about that. Yeah. Well, even to the extent of, like there was a rape and we saw the consequence of it, but it surprised us because we all thought it was just suggesting that there would be one to come. But yeah. Esther, like mm. it was revealed in in hindsight that that's what actually happened. So, yeah. Which is a sign, right, because you can just see the chocolate scene and that was that was hard enough to watch, wasn't it? Like that was just so mm. awkward and so mm. gross and sort of leaves you feeling icky afterwards. It did its work, mm. you know? Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's actually kind of brilliant the way they, yeah, yeah. did that. Mm. And I did love the framing when Serena goes out for the quiet breastfeed out the back, exit side above her head, hello, this way, neon lights. Like it was super obvious, but I really loved it anyway. (laughs) 100%. Yeah, 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 she's going to go for it. The only red we saw was was the exit side. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exit this way. Yeah, yeah, it's like one, two, bye. (laughs) And didn't go up the street. It was like, up the street, go up the street. But then had the close encounter with the Jeep. Thankfully, gets in and bolts around the corner. I wondered if that driver woman clocked who Serena was, if she knew who she was and was like, fuck it, come in anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, I don't know if I saw a little bit of recognition or something. Um, 
maybe I'm reading into that too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why was she driving past the Gilead Fertility Centre? <laughs> <laughs> she can get the special exactly. pitch from the back seat. But um, <laughs> and look, as much as much as I wanted Serena to suffer a little bit longer, to be honest, really, before she got out, I was cheering for her in that moment. I was like, yeah, go. You know, stand in front of that car, you know, get in, go. Right. Yes, Serena. Yeah, but hurry up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hurry um, up. Because that door was alarmed. <laughs> so, yes, they will be in hot pursuit, no doubt. But we've got probably got, I'm sure you guys have more to say about Nick because the next scene is the location with Nick. Mm-hmm. More to say on this one. The first shot of him is up the stairs having a smoke like their little love nest back in the day, very reminiscent of their uh, upstairs yeah. boudoir. I, I forgot about that. But he was sitting in front of a closed door, not an open door. So as soon as I saw him, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the symbols. <laughs> yes, but he makes the point that he can't just pick up and leave, but Rose very much wants to stay. Her father is a top commander there and she's happy there. She is no Eleanor, guys. Mm. No. She, doesn't, she doesn't mind. Yeah. yeah, I can't trust a woman who, any wife who's like, this is great, you know, to live in a country where we rape but isn't, like, mm, lots of women. Like it's complicated, babies. right, because I assume she's got a whole family there. It is complicated. You know, I, well, I, we don't know yeah. anything about her. I don't know, you know, if she's got parents, Correct. siblings, how large her family is. Um, so it's I a get the imp- big call, especially if you're about to have a baby. I get the impression she's lived a very privileged and sheltered life yeah. and yes. hasn't really been exposed to a lot of the horrors of of Gilead. We don't even know if she's been exposed to families with handmaids to any significant level. So, yeah, I get the impression she's just very sheltered in her experience of the Gilead world. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no free press, right? And they also aren't allowed to read. So there is it is like legitimately we don't know mm. like how much they actually know. And just like the guy that we met when Luke and June went into that no man's land. He like um, mm-hmm. he could sense that things weren't quite right. Like he thought that family should be together, but at the same time, Gilead's all he's known, well, really all that he remembers. And he wasn't that, you know, he was happy to stay. So I kind of get it. Like I kind of I kind of get mm. why Rose wouldn't be looking for the parachute right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say she's not aware. I mean, well, the fact that yeah. she has frank conversations with Nick and knows about June and her dad's a top. Oh, commander, you're right. Actually, so oh I, my gosh, like I take all that back. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Girl definitely knows yeah, handmaids exist. There's no too way. Much no, but she hasn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that she doesn't know they exist, but she hasn't experienced firsthand. Or, you know, obviously not firsthand, sorry, but she hasn't, like, necessarily been in a household that has a handmaid, for instance. Mm. Well, if she was a top commander's daughter, I wonder if they had a handmaid. Mm. You know, mm. surely there would have been a handmaid hanging around there. Because my know. assumption of, of how of how they've met was because Nick had all of those contacts in the resistance, you know, um, thinking way back in seasons when he would be at Jezebel's and he would be talking to the women working behind the scenes in, like, the kitchen area and stuff like that. He always had contacts. And so I had assumed that maybe he had met Rose that way, that she was someone who who looks like a Gilead person but was actually a resistor underneath. So, yeah, so now that I'm remembering that that's where I, that's, that's, that's <laughs> in my mind how they have come together, God knows if that's true or not. Yeah, you're right. Like I think that she, she does know those inner workings, horrible workings of Gilead. So, yeah, in that case, why is she staying? All right, okay, I've changed my mind. Yeah, why does she like it? <laughs> mm. See, don't trust her. And there's an, there's an interesting aspect to her character as well in that and one of the wives makes a comment about this when yeah. they're talking about her pregnancy around 
you know, is she concerned that the, you know, the child might have some genetic issues considering, which Mm. reminds me of those flashbacks we get of Gilead where you see people with genetic conditions being rounded up in cages and, Mm. you know, making assumptions that Gilead has a very kind of fascist stance Mm. on um, issues of, of genetics, which leads to the question of, you know, what kind of privileged space is Rose living in where that can be overlooked in her case. Mm. So, yeah, that's an interesting aspect to her character and I, I think points to her, her privilege mm. within Gilead. Yeah, I would agree. And that's Mrs Calhoun and that was Calhoun last week whose name we couldn't quite remember, but, yeah, he's there as well. So that's, um, yeah, very shitty comment from her. I thought. Mm. But back to Nick and June, that scene, this is where he's saying... Gilead's changing. There's progress. Under Lawrence, we're, we're making it better. And she catches the way. We. I have to do whatever it takes to protect my family, just like you. He, she very much could say back to him what she says to Lawrence about, you know, you're one of them and it's even worse because I know that you know better. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, I think that she's reeling. She just got her second heartbreak, you know, like the moment when mm. he said that Rose is pregnant. You could almost feel that, you know, that was yeah. like a gut punch, you know. So I, I think that she yeah. was properly... Mm-hmm probably reeling from that and probably was for a while. Yes, that is a gut punch, I think. You're right, the news that um, Rose is pregnant. But she's also still reeling from the shock that he said no to Mm. leaving and all the more reason to leave when you are expecting, I think. Like in her head it's like a compounding why are you hanging around. So I think this scene is really interesting for their dynamic and what it might come to in the future because he's, you know, tell Nicole I love her, you know, he's clearly not thinking there's a future where he's ever going to see his daughter to be able to tell her himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Nick Blaine, what's his story? He's very high up, rising through the ranks. I think where Lawrence we're seeing him hiding behind doorways and feeling that guilt. Nick, you know, he's starting out clearly, you know, he loves June. He's, you know, his heart is there, but it's also very much in Gilead with his wife and child on the way. Um don't know about him. Just how you see that as a better option than leaving if you can. I, I can't wrap my head. I mean, I I understand some of his reasons, but I still just think when you do the maths, why the hell would you not hit eject? Mm. Get out of there, Nick, unless you really believe or somewhat believe. Going back to that conversation at the start of the season where Twello tries to get him to mm. um, help, at the time Nick cites Mackenzie and, you know, other conservative commanders who have their eye on him and have their eye on Lawrence as one of the reasons that he's not ready to help, doesn't he? So I just wonder if maybe we're still a little bit unclear as to what his true feelings or his true position is, but he's being kind of pushed and pulled by those around him, by Rose who wants to stay for whatever her reasons are, by maybe a fear of other commanders who are watching him and watching his moves along with Lawrence's. Mm. I don't I don't know, guys. Like I've I just don't think that we've seen anything that would be enough to make me think that he is pro Gilead. I think everything I think he's proven himself season after season after season. I wouldn't say he's pro Gilead. I mean he's well, he's initiating airstrikes and like he's very much doing the bidding of Gilead. But I think he's like the frog in a saucepan, the water's heating up and all of a sudden the water's boiling, you know what I mean? Like he's 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 certainly there and he's certainly active and to exactly the point that June makes to Lawrence, you know, like it's even worse because I know that you know better and like he, he, they're initiating these airstrikes against the American pilots. Like there is collateral damage here. 
I actually wonder if in some ways it's a, almost the opposite in that I don't imagine he expects he's going to be living much longer because people who are rising through the ranks in Gilead don't seem to have a very long lifespan. So he's trying to quickly make it as best for his child as he can because he's probably not imagining that he'll be there for most of their childhood is my, is my grim take mm. on because Gilead's a very grim place. Jeez, that went dark. <laughs> yes. I do feel we're going to get some character deaths by the end of this season, mm. whether it's Lawrence, whether it's Nick, whether it's, yeah, mm. someone's going to be yeah. off. And overall, this whole conversation, though, is is really sort of finally putting an end to the relationship, isn't it? Like she can finally yeah. move on from this because Nick's being keeps being dangled in front of her and he's and they've had those lovely conversations on the phone in the past. But this is it now. This is now he's got his wife, she's got her husband. They both say, I love you. They pretty much say goodbye. And now, like, now they're kind of done. Like, I feel like that relationship is done and leading to, <laughs> as I was saying, like that sort of rebirth of June where she can now move on from this. Mm. There's always been this dynamic that it's the love that couldn't be, that they can never be together in the right place and free to to live their life as a couple. And this just felt like an extension of that. Maybe it's an end. That would be nice and neat, but I feel like it's just an extension of this ongoing acknowledgement that they do love each other and will probably always love each other, but will never be together. Mm. Mm. I feel like it's setting them up for some direct conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's interesting because she's been set up with this conflict with Luke as well, right? Yeah, over the baby and then breaking up the relationship between Serena and the baby. And there was a reason for her to kind of be horrified by Luke's actions as well. So she's is she sort of moving towards being alienated in a way from both the men she loved? Yeah, I, I feel like with Luke, it's more that's relationship tension. That's you know, understandable. With with Nick, this is, you know, real high stakes political, geopolitical yeah. tensions that I think are really ratcheting up here. Mm-hmm. Just like on a fundamental level because he's saying, you know, he's doing for his family and she's absolutely doing the same but she makes the broader point, I want what's best for both our families and, like, it's a higher higher aim. I just think the whole military symbolism across the episode, certainly the way it ends, well, it's in the flag. Mm-hmm. They're bringing the fight. Because there's clearly a June problem which is putting the pressure on Joseph Lawrence. So I can see um, your scenario playing out, Fiona, that if June does step up to be more of a public force, whatever that looks like, that that would just make life for um, Nick and for Joseph Lawrence difficult because they're trying to make their changes and as and as long as, as June is agitating in Canada, that would put them at direct odds, mm. I think. So mm. I can see that playing out. Mm. Well, Mackenzie brings it in again, doesn't he, like his, his threat of mm-hmm. we do need to nip that one in the bud. And the mention again of more allegiance is in this next scene with um, mm. where they're all having the dinner of China, Russia and North Korea, I think it's great, the... the <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> The strikes, <laughs> yeah. Playing with the big boys. Playing with the big boys now. Aren't you Nick Blaine? Did anyone notice the painting hanging above all the men um, when they were in that room chatting? I Ooh. must say I did not. <laughs> what was it? Well, I think it's a little bit dirty because it's so I think it's a, it's a rose, but the bottom half is so shaded that it looks like the opening of a vagina. Like you basically see oh. labia, <laughs> clitoral hood, all of it. That's all I could see was a giant vagina hanging. Well, there over is the a Georgia house. O'Keefe. I'm so that, going back now to look at that. Oh, there is a Georgia O'Keefe in Lawrence's house that's been there before. Yeah, it could be that one. We should have have another look. <laughs> And a rose is like a symbol of a vagina, I think, right? Anyways, but um, yeah, that's that's that stood out to me in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> that actually leads me to Naomi because um, 
I was thinking she must have looked around oh. at Lawrence's house and seen all of his eclectic furnishings and thought, oh, my God, I cannot live here. Like that would have been her nightmare. She's going to get in and redecorate. Yeah, that man loves patterns. That room was drowning in overlapping patterns. Yeah, it's very bohemian and um, artful. They've got the good sitting room, but, yeah, some, if the fact they're in that room, yeah, with the raunchy paintings um, or with the risque, <laughs> shall we say. Um, I yes. think she'll be agitating for them to both move into uh, the Putnam's old residence with its beautiful high ceiling. Very much. Well-appointed furnishings. Cool. Much more minimalist, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so here's where Mackenzie congratulates Lawrence for his rise. Clearly there's um, a wedding probably coming with Naomi. Haven't seen a Gilead wedding, have we? Oh, have we seen one? The, the group wedding with Eden. That's right. But not like a big commander and, and a wife mm. so, or a second marriage no. for both of them. We'll see what they do for second marriages. <laughs> when he put his hand on Naomi with the, the ring on his mm. ring finger, from her expression, I didn't understand whether she had agreed to it and she was just seeing the hand being like, oh, I guess this decision's been made for me, shit, or whether she was like, shit, I've made this decision. This is my lot in life now. I couldn't understand what that look was saying. Mm. I think either way, it's on. I assume by her turning up for that dinner was her agreeing that like she had right. basically said yes to the proposal and so that's why she was there. What I didn't understand was why Lydia was there. Um, <laughs> Neither she did Lydia chaperone. chaperone. <laughs> but this is what confused me because a single woman needs a chaperone, although I guess maybe a betrothed woman needs a chaperone too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, well, I think it's okay, just so she is engaged. Yes, they're out on the town such as it is in Gilead at <laughs> his house. But it does point, I think, to Lydia's rising influence, wink, wink, mm-hmm. that, uh, yes, she's being seen and she's in circles where she shouldn't, wouldn't normally be, as Mrs Calhoun makes uh, makes the comment, oh, we're inviting arts now. She's a little cheeky, yeah, that one. a little snippy. <laughs> a little bit bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully she gets some more lines next next episode, next season. Yes, so anyway, Joe and Naomi, handsome couple. We'll see what uh, <laughs> what comes of that. But that's where Lawrence says... I like to uh, defy expectations. And so you have. You're truly one of us now. Praise be. And Nick and he exchange glances. Yes, you are. Doesn't mm-hmm. June know it? And then we're at the vigil, wrapping up this episode at the picketed memorial service um, with Elijah's widow and his daughter, Emma. Closing out all of the symbolism across this episode, the flag, June Osborne herself taking the pledge, helping Emma with that, pledging the allegiance. They don't get to finish the last line, which is liberty and justice for all. They get cut short by, by the gunshots from all the protesters, blaming them for the death of the soldiers. You can hear some, make out some of their shouting. They're saying their blood is on your hands and they died because of you and their terrible placards, which are all a little bit familiar fonts. So th- this, I assume, what the, I guess the big question is who fired the bullets? Because mm-hmm. um, we had, had just left that dinner party where they were saying that June problem needs to be solved. Correct. And next thing you know, she's a, um, a target. So do we assume that that was approved by Joseph or do we think that was Ryan Wheeler's team going rogue? Or was it a protester? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it could have been just... A stray bullet. I don't know. There's a lot of people that probably could point the finger at. Yeah, that's what I was left wondering was whether or not it was an assassination attempt or just some rogue bullets or bullets mm. aimed at the flag but not necessarily 
gene. Mm. I, I kind of side with the latter. I think it was, you know, some of the protesters maybe because of the way June clutches Emma and it's the same way that Serena was holding Noah when the Jeep nearly hit her, like they're both kind of shielding kids in. Mm. Um, it's kind of a mirroring of that moment where like both were kind of, well, certainly with the Jeep it was would have been a freak accident. I don't know. I thought, I just put them thought, oh, well, they're mirroring each other. They're both kind of the mothers protecting children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do we think? Mm. Yeah, I think the first time I watched it I was like, oh, assassination attempt. And then the second time I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it's just the chaos of the moment because, you know, she's known but how known is she um, among these Canadian protesters? But, yeah, I hadn't really thought that maybe it was something more organised from the Gilead side. I I thought it was just a a mass shooting and sort of a a nod to, like, the horrors of contemporary America almost, like interjecting with all the crap that makes Gilead horrible, Mm. to have this very contemporary example of the violence of America really Mm. shook me in a sense because I was like, oh, okay, this is like an element of really real life currently that we're all familiar with. Yeah, Mm. and I guess that pairs with the song with Janelle Monae's Americans that plays over the top of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like Gilead is confronting. All the things we've seen and, and talked about are confronting, but for some reason the, the mass shooting element of this just really shook me because I'm like, how many times do we see that headline happen over and over? Mm, mm, yeah. In the most American of symbols possible at the end of the show, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it lays in, it in the most on. depressing way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that rounds out episode nine. <laughs> <laughs> What did we learn today and how are we going in to predict the season finale? How are we here already? I don't know, but all right. I think my big question for everyone is um, where is Serena going? (laughs) How far is that woman going to take her? Good question. (laughs) She's running to Luke in June's place. I know, I know. He's a good man. She's got her application in for New Bethlehem. (laughs) First first occupant. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that was my thought. I was joking, but now maybe I'm not. Yeah, I guess she would be protected there. <laughs> I am still not going to put it beyond possibility that June will end up in New Bethlehem as well because if that last scene was saying anything, mm. it is that Canada is not safe. Mm, not as safe and free as she said to Joe, And no one else has been able to get Hannah for her. And you can't help your child mm-hmm. if you're not with your child. <laughs> mm. But can she ever get Hannah? <laughs> wink, wink. I'm going to chicken out and say I don't <laughs> No. 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 (laughs) Let's go on the record with stupid ideas like we always do. (laughs) Speaking for myself. I thought it was was really leading towards her becoming a symbol. Yeah. And I think the final straw is that if she is going to be the target of an assassination and she hasn't even spoken publicly really, then she might as well speak publicly. You know, her house is already getting targeted. Mm. So, yeah, so, so I think she actually is quite well-known, especially within the community of people who care about Gilead and care about refugees. So why not? You know, like she's burnt her bridges with Lawrence. She's wrapped up the relationship with Nick. She didn't get Hannah back. So now she's got to try something else. And this is the last thing she kind of has at the moment. So I'm assuming that like maybe next episode, we see her stepping up to be a June that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I think that's setting up for season six for sure. Yeah, I would concur mm. with that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that one too. I second that. <laughs> I'm stealing yours. <laughs> Whereas with Serena, I just thought, like, oh, God knows where she's actually heading. And I just thought, what? 
this is how I think about Serena, which is where is the one place I do not want her to go? Because that's probably oh where, she's go- where she's where she's going to go. And she better which leave is- Rita alone. You know, she turns up on Rita's doorstep. I'm going to be so annoyed. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't. Rita keeps assuring us how, how you know, anyone who listened, how much she's moved on. But, yeah, we've had no glimpses of her or Moira. Yeah, let's let's have one of those. Mm-hmm. Let's. And there was no Janine this episode either. I feel like we haven't seen her for a mm. while. Oh, yeah. It's been a few episodes, hasn't it? That's right. It has. And Esther. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd love an update on um, what's going on at Aunt Headquarters, Aunt HQ. Yes. Well, um, Lawrence and Naomi will need a handmaid at some point, won't they? Oh, my God. Yes, maybe they get Janine. <laughs> oh, yeah. what a trio. No, maybe maybe we'll get a it. wedding. Maybe we'll get the wedding next episode. Yes, yeah, let's <laughs> Let's, yeah, rather than a death, wedding, a with funeral, a wedding, a birth, we'll, we've got it all this season. We'll take it. <laughs> we have actually, haven't we? All right. Well, <laughs> there is literally only one way to find out. Thank you for listening. We hope that helped. We're off to go and eavesdrop on Ryan and Alana's conversation in the car on the way home. That's going to be so awkward and I wish I was there. <laughs> now we're just going to wait, that lengthy wait for the finale um it premieres on sbs on demand wednesday afternoon and screens on thursday on sbs and i want to thank my co-hosts sana kadar natalie handley and Haiti island for unpacking all of this with me and thank you for listening we cannot wait to hear what you think of this one and your theories for what the finale is going to bring we've got one shot <laughs> when we hear it so reach out on twitter you can find me at anything but fifi and use that hashtag eyes on Gilead. It's how we find you. Where can we find you guys on Twitter? Sana, where are you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Haiti, where are you on Twitter? At Haiti Island. And Natalie, what about you? At Natalie Hampley. And use that hashtag. It's going off. Um, there are some really great tweets coming in. Who's got one that they want to share? Um, I really liked a tweet from Catherine Powley and she said, June and Lawrence keep pointing out that Serena can't seem to see the irony of her situation. And I just realised that Serena's captor is named after the very singer of Isn't It Ironic, Alanis. Which made me think of a Alanis Morissette's very famous song because I imagine that Alanis Wheeler is now scratching her nails down someone else's back and hoping Serena can feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well played. I've got a good one actually from at Kate H. Merrigan and she said, well, I didn't say because of this, but she said, love the pod and can't wait to listen every week to process these rich episodes. Thanks, Kate. And she said, thought on the garden shape at the end of episode eight. Remember we were reflecting on the interlocking yews there. She said she saw the shapes and thought of broken chain links and that connects back to the song and the lyrics of The Chain from episode four. Oh, wow. That was very good. Yeah, well, nice well observed. Up. Yeah. And last one for me is Danielle from A Greenish Thumb, so clearly into gardening, um, was wondering what Hannah was planting and she thinks it might be lavender, which she says represents purity, silence, devotion, serenity, grace and calmness. Everything Gilead expects from a Gilead wife, gross. Nice pickup. Yeah, good. There's some great theories popping there. Um, a lot of people live watch the show and, and tweet as they go. So get in there and, and have a conversation. It's great. So use that hashtag, Eyes on Gilead. And while we have you, um, feel free to leave a review for us and give us a rating on the podcast app you're listening to us from today. It helps other people to find the show. They might be watching Handmaids and not realising that they have their tribe here. So, yes, let them know. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, the finale. 
of season five. Don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take your dirty bill, there's thinking eyes off me. Good night, girls. Blessed dreams. Good night, Aunt Paula.